Are you a jealous person? That's our theme this evening. The day that Moses became jealous and he declared better 100 deaths than one pang of jealousy. I want to welcome all of you from around the globe to this evening's class on the yeshiva.net. I want to welcome all of the viewers on COL Live as well. The Torah portion of Ayelach describes Moses' final preparations to depart from this world. But there is one unforgettable narrative recorded in the Midrash that we want to explore this evening because at first glance it seems almost incomprehensible and very difficult to understand. Under the video, there is a PDF document which has a curriculum. Please open up the PDF, the curriculum. Source number one. Take a look. The Torah says in Deuteronomy chapter 31, Vayelech Lamanal of Pasikudalat. Vayomer Hashem al Moshe, God tells Moshe, God tells Moses, Hein karvu yamechalamus. Your days have come close to death. Kras Yahishua, call Joshua, Visyatsvu Ba'il Mayyad, and both of you stand in the sanctuary, in the tabernacle. Va'atzavenu and I will instruct him. Moses and Joshua go and they stand in the sanctuary. Then the Torah continues to discuss Moses' words to the Jewish people about the era after his death. But what happened between God and Joshua? That the, the verse doesn't say. God just tells Moses, bring Joshua, come to the sanctuary, stand here, and I will instruct him. And they do it. But what was the conversation between God and Yahushua? That the verse deletes. The verse doesn't tell us. And of course, it's these gaps that the Midrash often fills. So open up source number two. And let us study this. In Yiddish, they say, Meiridik, awesome Midrash. It's actually the last Midrash Rabbah on the portion of Ayelich. Dvarim Rabbah, Parsha Tes, Pisketes, 9-9, source 2. Kras Yahishua. Amar Lefonov. Moses spoke to Hashem, to God, and he said, Rebbeinu Shalom, the master of the universe. Yitol Yahishua Archi Shali Vahachai. Let Joshua take my position, my kingdom, and let me remain alive. Moses, as you know, craved to live. He wanted to go into the Holy Land with the Jewish people. He beseeched and prayed and protested and pleaded and begged and cried. God said, no, no. At this point, Moses tells God, you know what? I won't be the leader. The leader must be transferred to Yahushua, to Joshua. Fine. Let him take my position of authority. Let him become the leader. And let me remain alive as an ordinary Jew, as a disciple. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God agreed. He said, You'll then have to behave towards him as he has been behaving towards you. He has been behaving as your disciple. You will now have to behave towards him as a disciple. Imagine. Miyad hishkim Immediately Moses arose and went to the home of Yahushua, of Joshua, his disciple. Nisyore Yahushua, Yahushua, got scared. Moses is coming to his house. Who heard of this? Yahushua, we know earlier the Torah says, Yahushua was nar, he was a lad, he was mesharis, he was a servant. He never left the tent of Moshe Rabbeinu. He was always there day and night to serve his master, to listen to his master, to be there for his master. Now suddenly Moshe is coming to his house. He got scared. For Omar Moshe, Moshe tells him, Rebbe, my teacher, my master, boy Etzli, come with me. They went out to walk. Moshe walked to the left of Joshua which is the sign of a student, of a pupil. 
they went into the sanctuary. The cloud, the pillar of the cloud came down and separated between Moshe and Yehoshua. When the cloud departed and left, Moshe walked over to Yehoshua and he told him, what did God tell you, Yehoshua? This was the first time the cloud came down and blocked the path to Moses. And Yehoshua is the one who's hearing the voice of God. So Moshe asks Yehoshua, what did God tell you? Omar lo Yehoshua, Yehoshua told him these words. Kishahaya hadibur nigla alecha, When God spoke to you, did I know what he told you? In other words, I never knew what he told you when he spoke to you. Hence, you ought not to know what he told me. This was Yeshua's response to Moshe. That moment, Moses screamed and said, one hundred deaths and not a single pang of jealousy. I'd rather die one hundred times and not experience even a myota of one pang, one emotion, one sensation of jealousy, of envy of Yeshua. King Solomon articulated this moment in the Song of Songs, chapter 8, when he says, Ki aza kamovis ava, kosher kasha oil sino. Love is as powerful as death. Jealousy is as harsh as the grave. Avashav Moshe Yeshua, Mashakine Moshe Yeshua. Who was King Solomon referring to when he spoke about the intensity of love? And the harshness of envy. He was referring to Moses and Joshua. Love is as powerful as death. Was the love that Moshe loved Yahushua. He loved him so much. And jealousy is as difficult as the grave. Was the jealousy that Moses experienced from Joshua at this very moment. At the end of his life. When God speaks to Yahushua and not to Moshe. And Yahushua refuses to tell Moshe what he heard. It's as difficult as the grave. Kivan Shekibala Lav Lamos. When Moshe accepted upon himself to die, his God began appeasing him. Amale and he told him, Chayech, I swear to you. Ba'ilam Hazahin Haktes Bonai Afla Asid Lavoi Al Yadechani Manigaisa. In this world, you led my children. In the future world, when Mashiach comes, you will also be the leader. My children will be led through you. Minayin, how do we know? Shanemah, the verse says in Isaiah, Yeshaya, by Yisker, Yemeyelam, Moshe, Ami, when Mashiach comes, he remembers the days of yore when Moshe led his nation, and he again will lead the nation. When Moshe accepted upon himself to leave the world, now God says, you will remain their leader when Mashiach comes. You will lead them. It's obvious that this medrash is very, very deep. How many layers of meaning and depth are contained in this medrash? We certainly can't exhaust it. But let's address a few points. First of all, the medrash speaks for itself. I feel that any commentary, any interpretation simply dilutes it. It compromises it. The best way to articulate this medrash is simply to paraphrase the words of Shleim HaMelech, love is as strong as death and jealousy is as harsh as the grave. Kiyaza kamavis ava koshekashal sina. But let us at least from our limited perspective touch on a few points. Number one, what is going on here? 
What was the nature of this jealousy? And what was the nature of Yeshua's response? Joshua tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Yeshua tells Moshe Rabbeinu, what does he say? When God spoke to you, you didn't tell me. God spoke to me, I'm not going to tell you. Why did he say that? What did he mean? There's a Gewaldic interpretation from the great Hasidic master, Reb Simcha Binim of Pshischa, I once saw, once saw in his name. It's quoted in Pardis Yosef. He says, we misunderstand the Medrash. This is what God told Yahushua. We understand the Medrash. God spoke to Joshua. Moses didn't hear what he said. When he finished, Moshe comes to Yeshua and says, tell me, what did Hashem tell you? What did God tell you? So Yeshua said, you didn't tell me when God spoke to you. You're expecting me to tell you when God spoke to me? To, to me? It's for me, it's not for you. Ripsim Chibinim explains, no, this is what Hashem told Yeshua. Moshe asked Yeshua, what did Hashem tell you? So Yeshua told me, you know what Hashem told me? Hashem told me that when the word came to you, Moshe, I didn't know what he told you. This is actually what Hashem told Yeshua, nothing else. In other words, it's now your turn. It's your moment. Now destiny has changed. It has shifted from Moshe to Yeshua. One interpretation, fine. But how do we understand his jealousy? What was he jealous of? We know the Torah says in Parshas Ba'alois Ish Moshe Anav Moed Adam. Moses was the most humble human being from every person on earth. The first sign of humility was he didn't feel arrogant or bombastic, holier than thou, superior. Now God tells him came the time for his student to shine. Now it was Yeshua's turn to become the leader. Marash, what was the tumult? Why did Moshe feel so distraught to scream a hundred deaths rather than jealousy? Especially the question becomes stronger. Everybody knows the question of the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, who asks, how is it that Moshe was more humble before every person? Did Moshe not know who he was? Did he not know that he was chosen by the creator of the world to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, to give them the Torah? He was the prophet who communicated the spiritual mandate of God, the blueprint for the universe to the Jewish people. Was he really humble before every person? And Rabbi Shnei Zalman, the Alter Rebbe, explains that humility does not mean false assumptions about yourself. If you're tall and you say, I'm short, you're not humble, you're stupid. And if it's daytime and you say it's nighttime, that's not humility, it's a lie. Rather, it was something deeper. Moshe Rabbeinu knew his greatness, but he felt that his tremendous spiritual heights, which he had reached, were a result of the gifts and resources that were given to him. They weren't a result only of his own toil and effort. He simply developed and actualized talents and resources and a state of consciousness that was given to him from above. It's not his own credit. It's not his own doing. It's a gift. So he has nothing to brag about it. It's not his. It's a gift from above. And God could have given the gift to someone else. Furthermore, he felt that if someone else would have received the same gifts like he, perhaps that person would have actualized them far more, far more effectively and would have reached greater heights than he. And therefore he felt humble in everybody's presence because he felt maybe if they had my gifts, they would have reached higher levels in spirituality and holiness and morality than I have. That's how the Alter Rebbe explains Moshe Rabbeinu's humility. Well, now this was the point. This was the moment God gave Yeshua the gifts that he gave Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe should have celebrated it. Moshe should have said, great, now it's your turn. He's humble his whole life because he feels it's a gift that doesn't belong to him. Now indeed God transferred the gift to somebody else and that person may actualize it even more. And yet suddenly Moshe is overtaken by jealousy. The question becomes even stronger. There is a story about this, isn't there? 
There is a story in the book of Numbers. Open up source number three in your curriculum, the PDF under the video. There's a story about two people who started to prophesize, Eldon and Medad, and Yahushua responded one way and Moshe responded another way. Look at that story. Parshas Baha'u'llah, the book of Numbers, chapter 11, Vayoretz Hanar, the lad ran, Vayagid Moshe Vayoymer, Eldad, Medad, Misnabim Bamachana, and he tells Moshe Rabbeinu, two people, Eldad and Medad, are prophesizing in the camp. Vayan Yahushua Binun, Vayimisharis, Moshe Mibichurov. Yahushua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moshe from his best people, responds in Vayomer and he says, Adoini Moshe Kloyim, my master Moshe. Kloyim. Incarcerate them. Arrest them. Lock them up, Yahushua says. Why? How do two people have the audacity to start prophesying? Continue inside, says the verse, Vayoyim Eloi Moshe. Moshe responds to Yahushua, and what does he say? Hamekane Yatali. Are you jealous? Are you jealous for me? Umiyitein kolam Hashem nevi'im kiitin Hashem esruchi aleim. And I wish that God would turn the entire nation of the Lord into prophets, that God would confer His Spirit upon them. You're jealous for me. You're envious for me that Elder Amedad are usurping my position. My craving, my yearning in life is that God's entire nation becomes prophets. I'm not scared of the competition. I don't have to be the exclusive Navi. I would love that everybody becomes a Navi. That God's spirit dwells on everybody. My mission in life is not to be this superior master, the one who hears God, and everyone therefore is subservient to him. My wish is that everyone hears the voice of God. There's no need for you, Yahushua, to be jealous. Here suddenly, somebody else becomes the prophet, Yahushua. And Moshe screams, better 100 deaths than one pang of jealousy. What is going on? The question grows. It's well known in the Gemara and Mesech Rosh Hashanah that there are 15 portals of wisdom. They're called Nun Sha'arei Bina. And Moses acquired all 49, missing one, known as the Sha'ar Hanun, the 50th portal. It's also connected to the 50th day after the 49-day count of the Omer between Pesach and Shavuos, Passover and Shavuos. Did he ever acquire the 50th? So the Torah at the end of Deuteronomy says that on the day of his death, Moses went up to which mountain? The mountain called Nevoi. So the Magid of Mizrich, the pupil of the Baal Shem Tov, says Nevoi means, it's an acronym, Nun Boy. It's actually not an acronym, it's three letters. Nevoi, Nun Boy. That day, the 50th gate entered into Moses. So the last day of his life, he transcended the 49 parameters the 49 attributes and faculties and entered into the 50th portal which is known as Kesser. It's the most transcendental level which he could not incorporate during his lifetime. And this is what he reached in the last day. And when he reaches this great level, we see him overtaken by jealousy. Now you might say, the jealousy was maybe a positive jealousy. Sometimes a person is jealous in a positive way. I'm jealous of you. I wish I would have what you have, and I aspire to it. I don't hate you. But if so, why did he say a hundred deaths better than a pang of jealousy? One possible explanation, based on what's discussed in many sources, I want to explore with you this evening. And for this, we have to introduce a very moving story in the Talmud which you could see in your next source open up your next source the Talmud says in Baba Basra Daf Ayin Hayamad Aleph tractate Baba Basra 77a Skenim Shabaisi Hadir Amru the elders of that generation who saw the demise of Moshe and the coronation of Joshua of Yahushua they said Pnei Moshe Kipnei Chama Pnei Yahushua Kipnei Levona the face of Moshe is like the face of the sun. The face of Yahushua, his disciple, is like the face of the moon. 
Oila la isa busha, oila la isa chlima. Woe unto the shame, woe unto the embarrassment. The moon is so inferior to the sun, you can't compare the two. Yeshua is so inferior to Maisha. What a shame. What a disgrace. What an embarrassment. He could never reach the light of Maisha. This the Gemara says of Abbasra. Why is the face of Maisha compared to the sun and the face of Yeshua compared to the moon? But before that, I want to tell you a fascinating Hasidic homiletical interpretation. It's not the literal interpretation, but it's a, it's a lovely one, which says this. The Midrash says, why did Yehoshua merit to succeed Moshe Rabbeinu? Because after Moshe's lectures, he would stay behind, and he would clean the chairs, he would set up and organize the room, he would clean the rugs and spread them out again, he would empty the chair, he'd put away everything, and then he would reorganize the chairs for the next lecture. This is what he did. He basically cleaned up and organized, so he was there, he was committed egoless, self-effacing, completely present, and therefore he was the one to succeed Moshe Rabbeinu. So there's one interpretation, this is what they were saying. The elders of that generation who stood near Moses and learned from Moses and listened to him and internalized his words and discussed it, they looked at Yeshua and they said, he is the face of the moon who was reflecting the face of Moshe Rabbeinu. They were talking about themselves. We were ashamed to clean up. We were ashamed to, to sweep. We were ashamed to mop. We were ashamed to clean the rugs. We were ashamed to set up the chairs. We're great giants. We're great scholars. We're skeinim. It's below our dignity. Woe unto our shame. Where did it bring us? It ultimately left us outside of the light. It ultimately left us outside of the source because we didn't have the humility, the simplicity, the vulnerability that Yeshua, the simple servant, displayed. But why the contrast, the metaphor of the sun and the moon? One of the explanations will be understood by another fascinating story in the Talmud, next source, open it up, tractate Chulin Daf Samach Ahmed Beis 60b. Reb Shimon ben Pazi Rami. Rabbi Shimon, the son of Pazi, asked the following question. Ksiv, one verse says, God created the two great luminaries, the sun and the moon. So they're defined as two great luminaries. Ksiv, another verse says, the sun is defined as the great luminary, and the moon is defined as the small luminary. How do we reconcile this contradiction? One verse calls them both great luminaries, another verse distinguishes between the great and the small. So Rabbi Shimon, the son of Pazi, explains, During the beginning of creation, the moon came to God and said, Master of the world, is it possible that two kings should use one crown? Amar God told the moon, Go diminish yourself. What a story. The moon complained. The moon said, two people can't use the same crown. There can only be one king. You can't have two leaders. You can't have two kings wearing one crown. You can't have the sun and the moon both wearing one crown, both having the same position, both conferring the same amount of light. So God tells the moon, go diminish yourself. Go become smaller. And that's what happens. The moon becomes small. And the moon essentially becomes a recipient of the sun's light. As we know, the moon has no light of its own. It reflects the, the light that it receives from the rays of the sun. Why didn't the sun complain? Only the moon complained. The sun did not complain. Two kings cannot use the same crown. Only the moon complained. The moon was jealous. The moon somehow felt diminished. 
by the fact that the sun has its light. The moon could not come to peace, could not make peace with the fact that it felt that the sun has what it has. The sun was at peace, the sun didn't complain. The moon was envious, the sun wasn't envious. So when the moon is envious, God says, go diminish yourself. It becomes smaller. The face of Moshe was the face of the sun. The face of Yahushua was the face of the moon. The moon complained, two kings can't use the same crown. Yahushua screamed, Adoni Moshe Kloyim, lock up Eldad and Medad. Two kings can't use the same crown, Yahushua said. You're the prophet. You cannot afford autonomous, independent people getting up there and speaking in the name of God, usurping your position. Moshe, the moon, turns to Yeshua and says, Are you jealous for me? Like the moon was jealous? My wish is that the whole nation of God becomes prophets. Do you really think I need to feel that I'm the only one who God speaks to? And if somebody else, like Elder and made that hear the voice of God, I'm threatened like the moon was, Hamekaneyatali. Yeshua was the face of the sun. Yeshua was the face of the moon. Let's take it a step deeper. The moon complains, the moon is jealous, the moon is envious. The moon can't deal with the fact that the sun shears the same light like it. So the moon complains, the moon says, God, do something. And God says, become smaller. It's not just a story about the sun and the moon, it's a story about each and every one of us. Are you jealous? Do you suffer from jealousy? Truthfully, honestly, are you envious of other people or of a particular person? We all know what's the result of jealousy. When I feel jealous of another person, I become smaller. I become simply a smaller person. Some of us look at other people and we are eaten up by our own jealousy, our envy of them. We become restless. We become miserable. We become bitter. We become frustrated. We become superficial. We can't live with our own depth. We can't live with our own truth as we're being consumed by the fires of jealousy that other people are evoking within us. You remember the Gemara in Beis, and you can look it up in your source in the PDF. Call me of Somebody who suffers from jealousy, his bones will rot. The Talmud doesn't only mean in the future when he dies his bones will rot. The Talmud means even now his bones rot. Because jealousy eats up on a person's atzmois. It eats up on a person's core. Atzmois means bones, comes from the word atzm, which means essence. It eats up on the person's core. It makes him miserable. It makes him frustrated. So many quarrels and fights and disputations and hatred and all types of political games come because of jealousy. I'm simply jealous of what you have. I cannot tolerate the fact that you have this and I don't have it. And that's what happened to the moon. The moon could not tolerate the fact that the sun has this. This is mine, the moon says. Why does the sun have this light? And she becomes smaller. Night is created as a result of the diminishment of the moon. There's night. There's no light. Now, Kabbalah, Hasidus, Jewish mysticism explains that the origin of the lamentation of the moon begins in a process known as the Tzimtzum. One of the great ideas of Lurianic Kabbalah, meaning the Kabbalah of the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria, living in the 16th century in Tzfas, in the holy city of Tzfas, is Tzimtzum. The doctrine that preceding the creation of the world, God, so to speak, suspended his infinite presence, projection, and light, creating a vacuum, a hollow, an empty space, as it were, devoid of his infinite manifestation and light and presence. And it's in that void 
where creation emerged. So God suspends, he conceals his light, creating an empty space, devoid of his revealed presence. And it's in that empty space where all of the universes emerge. This is a major, probably one of the most foundational doctrine, if not the most foundational doctrine of the Kabbalah of the Arizal. There's a void. It's a void that's created from the Tzimtzum. And therefore, everything in the Tzimtzum, everything in the post-Tzimtzum reality, everything that was created in this empty space, which is devoid of the infinite light that originally encompassed and saturated all of existence, not making a space for the world, there is now a void and therefore there is a craving, there is a yearning, there is a sense of inadequacy. There is therefore a sense of frustration. And what it results in is the fact that a person or an existence may not realize the light that exists within them they may not realize the depth, the beauty, the godliness that exists within them, and they crave something that is by somebody else to fill that void. Now, jealousy can express itself in two ways. It can fuel longing and yearning and ambition, and therefore, the desire to grow, the desire to explore, the desire to learn from somebody else, to internalize what somebody else can teach us. It's a jealousy which broadens our horizons. It's a jealousy which tells us about the fact that there is so much more than what we have. And then there is another form of jealousy that simply makes us feel inadequate, makes us upset at the other person, makes us feel worthless, until we don't have what the other person has, somehow we are worthless. It all begins with the symptom, with the void, with the lack. The truth is that we know that jealousy comes from the fact that we are not in touch with ourselves. We're not in touch with our own truth. Why are you jealous of anybody? You're you. Be you. You are supposed to be the person that you were designated to be. You have your personality. You have your talents. You have your resources. You have your flaws. You have your challenges. You have your blessings. Whatever they may be. That is your nikuda, that's your truth, it's your orbit, it's your unique light. Why are you jealous of anybody? If you're fully you, if you're fully cognizant of the you, of the true I, there's no room for jealousy. There's no time for jealousy, and there's no mental space for jealousy, and there's no need for jealousy. Nobody can take away from you your nikuda, your truth, your core. It doesn't belong to anybody else. It belongs to you. But what belongs to them belongs to them. It doesn't belong to you. But it's the void of the light, the darkness, the concealment creates a longing, a frustration. Now that longing and frustration can help me become greater and deeper or it can make me miserable. So therefore, the root of the complaint of the moon, according to Kabbalah, was the tzimtzum, the first tzimtzum, the first void. And then the moon complains. The moon is frustrated by what the sun has. The moon feels that the sun is somehow taking away its light. The sun is not allowing it to be who it is. So the moon complains. Two kings can't we are one crown, and God says, diminish yourself. And the moon becomes diminished, and night is created, darkness is created, a void is created.
which is what jealousy produces. And this is before humanity is created. And then humanity is created. And the first two brothers get into a major fight. And Cain kills Hevel. Why? Because he's jealous. Cain somehow can't tolerate Abel. Somehow the existence of Hevel angers Cain. His offering, his existence, and the Midrash discusses all of the fights that Cain and Hevel had. Very interesting fights. <laughs> One of the interpretations is they split the world into two, but the real estate of half the globe was not enough for Cain. He needed the other part as well. So he kills Hevel. Jealousy is what produced the first death. It says, uh, one saw, it says the word sheker, a lie, has three letters, shin, kuf, resh. The middle letter, kuf, stands for kina, for jealousy. The right letter, shin, stands for sin, a hatred. And the left letter, resh, stands for redifa, persecution, or etzich, a murder. It starts the middle, the center is kina, jealousy, which produces on the right, hatred, sin, sina, sheker, and on the left, Reish, Redifa, to persecute somebody else. The Mishnah tells us famously, Envy, lust, the desire for honor, take people out of this world. These three things. And there's an interpretation that they relate actually to three errors in people's lives. The first thing we experience is jealousy. Even young children have a sense of jealousy. They see that their brother, their sister, their friend got something. They become jealous. Then we become teenagers, we grow up, we still remain jealous, but now we have taiva, we have strong lusts and cravings. Then you become an old man or an old boy, you don't have kina so much, maybe, but you still have kina, you still have taiva. But sometimes they get a little diminished, but covered, we still want covered. I still need my picture in the newspaper, picture on the website, I still need the covered, the honor, the glory. So kina is a very primal thing. It's a very deep thing. It touches, as the Gemara says, the bones, the core of a person. Ah, now let's go back to the Gemara. The face of Moshe is the face of the, mom, the sun. The face of Yeshua is the face of the moon. There was a very big difference between Moshe and Yeshua. Yeshua is called Anar. A lad, a youngster, Mesharis Moshe, a disciple of Moshe. He's like the moon who reflects the light of the sun. Moshe represents Pnei Chama, the light of the sun. Moshe represents the pre-Tzimtzum reality. Moshe revealed the godly light at the core of the universe. Moshe transcends the Tzimtzum. Moshe goes beyond the vacuum, the void. It's like the face of the sun. What's unique about the sun? The sun's light is stable, it's consistent, and it's intense. The moon waxes and wanes. The moon is, the moon is smaller. The moon fills a void. The moon is a recipient. The moon's light changes. It's never in one place. The moon is the result of the symptom of the shrinking, of the limitations, of the diminishment, which fuels a yearning and an aspiration and a longing, but can also create a jealousy. And as we said, there's two types of jealousy. There's a jealousy that expands your horizons, and there's a jealousy that makes you dark and bitter and miserable. There's a jealousy which tells me about how much there is to grow and helps me grow and reach my own light. This is a jealousy which connects the symptom with the light that precedes the symptom. It's a jealousy that tells me your longing will bring you to the place that you have to be. You have a place. You have a connection. You have a light. And the longing is just there to reveal your light. And then there's a longing that just makes me frustrated and jealous and not believe in who I am and therefore I need to be who you are. I can't accept myself and certainly I can't accept you. Pnei Moshe, Pnei Chama. Moshe's face is the face of the sun. Pnei Yeshua, Pnei Levana. Yeshua represents the post-Tzimtzum paradigm. Nar, Tzimtzumim, constrictions, restrictions. That Samach Tzedek explains in Eir HaTorah. That Yeshua represents the post-Tzimtzum reality where the light is diminished and concealed and restricted. 
and becomes small. That's why he's called Nar. And therefore, as long as Moshe is the leader, there's no jealousy. The sun is not jealous. The sun has no problem with the moon. The sun has a clear awareness of who it is. It's connected to the source of sources and therefore it doesn't have to be anybody else and it doesn't feel anybody's taking away from it. So when Yeshua tells Moshe, lock up Eldon and made it, Yeshua says, Everyone can speak to God. Everyone can listen to God. He's the face of the sun. Are you going to ask me what about Koirach? Koirach's rebellion, Moshe crushed. For this, you have to remember the shir, the class that we had, Parshas Baha'u'llah, we, ex- we explained the difference between power and influence. Koirach didn't want Moshe's influence. Koirach wanted Moshe's power. But that's a separate subject. Now, history moves on, and Moshe's era is changing. The Jews are leaving the desert. Moshe will stay behind with his generation, and they're going to go into the Holy Land. And it says that if Moshe would have entered into the Holy Land, the Kabbalists say, there could not be any exile afterwards. Because Moshe's light, the light of the sun, is stable, it's consistent. It can't be destroyed. It's only the face of Yahushua, which was like the face of the moon, which allowed the Jewish people to fall and decline, and therefore it was vulner- they were vulnerable to destruction. Every subject here really requires a lot of elaboration, but let's get to our point. So Yeshua introduces the era of the moon, the era of the void. The moon was jealous. The moon felt inadequate. The moon felt a void. The moon felt emptiness. The Tzemach Tzedek writes, it's the two names of God. The Pasuk says in Tehillim, Ki Shemesh Umagein Hashem Elikim. You could see in your source. Literally, it means God is a sun and a shield. But Chassidus explains, Havaya, the name Yudke Vavke, is the sun, and Alekim is the shield. It's the seeth which covers the sun, which eclipses the sun. Moshe is the Shemesh. Shem Havaya, Yudke Vavke, which transcends nature. Haya, it was, it is, and it will be all in one word. That's Havaya, Yudke Vavke, Yeshua's Alekim, represents the name of concealment. Alekim is 86, the numerology of Hateva nature. There's concealment and therefore there can be jealousy. There could be kina. At this moment, when Moses and Joshua went into the sanctuary, we now come back to the Medrash. Leadership was transferred. The milieu was changed. The energy was taken from Moshe and conferred upon Yeshua. Yeshua became the new Rebbe. Yeshua became the new spiritual focal point. The shepherd of the Jewish people. And for the first time in his life, Moshe experiences the feeling of the moon. Now that the paradigms of history changed, now that the leadership was transferred from Moshe to Yeshua, Yeshua representing the moon, Moshe, who was now the disciple of Yeshua, for the first time feels the sensation of the moon. He feels the experience of jealousy. Why? Because he's in the generation of Yeshua, the generation of the moon, not the generation of the sun. What's Moshe's response? A hundred deaths rather than one pang of jealousy. He realizes that his era at last has come to an end. It's time for him to pass on. Mea Misa is a hundred deaths. A hundred. There's ten faculties, ten sephiris, from Chachma through Malchus. Each one of them encompasses all ten. Ten times ten makes a hundred. Misa death represents elevation, going from this plane to another plane. Better one hundred deaths than one pang of jealousy. All of the spheres of Moshe, the ten faculties, each one encompassing ten, must be elevated. They must pass on back to their source where there's no jealousy. His era has ended. Now is the era of the moon, not of the sun. 
because history changes and goes through a whole process ultimately to heal the world and heal the tzimtzum and bring together the sun and the moon. What does it say when Mashiach comes? What will happen? You could see in your sources, the light of the moon will finally be like the light of the sun. So when Moshe becomes the disciple of Yeshua, he experiences jealousy. He was diminished from his own level and went into a new paradigm. Suddenly, that's the moment God appeases him back to the Medrash. Why now? Moshe became jealous and says, I want to die. So God says, okay, I'll appease you. No. When Moses realizes it's the end of his era, now Hashem tells Moshe and he says, now you're not going to live. But I want to promise you, as we saw in the Medrash, I want to promise you that when Mashiach comes, you're going to be the leader. The light of the moon will be like the light of the sun. And therefore you're going to lead the Jewish people. The face of the sun will lead the Jewish people. As there will be healing, complete unity between the sun paradigm and the moon paradigm. Between the pre-Simpson reality and the post-Simpson reality. That we in our world and within our structure will realize how the void and the longing is only another expression of the light. It allows us to get where we have to get and discover our own relationship to truth, our own relationship to God. It's also another form of light. It's the light that's expressed through the moon, through the tzimtzum. You will be the leader. This wasn't an appeasement because Moshe said, okay, I'll die. So God said, let me make him feel good. It was a natural response to Moshe Rabbeinu's feeling, to Moshe Rabbeinu's declaration. There's a tremendous lesson here for each and every one of us. First of all, let me tell you a a statement that they say in the name of the Chidushi Harim. Chidushi Harim was the first master of the Hasidic dynasty of Ger. He asks a question. We all know the Talmud says, you could see it in your sources, people are envious of everybody besides a child and a student. When you see your child growing and becoming great, you feel happy. And the same is true with a real disciple of yours. So why was Moshe jealous of Yeshua? So the Chidushi Harim says, so they quote in his name, you're not jealous of your child or of your disciple if they succeed tremendously in their respective fields or even in your fields. But when they usurp your position, then even your own disciple you can get jealous of. And even your own child you can get jealous of. If they take away your job and force you into retirement, then even a father and a rebbe can get child of their own of their own student and their own son. There's another major insight I think we have to apply here. And now I'm applying it to us on our level. And that is sometimes some of us, we get older, we grow up, we think we're mature, we found ourselves, and we say, we're beyond jealousy, I'm beyond jealousy. You know, when I was young, I was stupid, I was not so successful, I was maybe jealous of him, of him, of her. But now I'm beyond that. Moshe Rabbeinu is 120 years old. And yet, didn't deny that feeling when it came and said, better a hundred deaths than one pang of jealousy. How honest do we have to be with ourselves to challenge our jealousy, to work on it to revisit it and try to refine it and not let it hold us hostage and victims to it because it only makes us so much smaller as it did to the moon. I want to conclude with the story. The fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Shmuel, the Rebbe Maharash, had two sons. He had more, but the story is about two sons. His oldest son was Zalman Aaron, known as the Razah. And his middle son was Shalom Doiv Ber, later became the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab. 
The Rashab was younger than the Razah, but taller than he. And once they were playing in the garden, and the Razah, Zalmanarin, the older boy, takes his younger brother, Shalom Bear, and places him in a ditch. So their father, Reb Shmuel, the Maharash, calls over his oldest son, and he says, why did you take your little brother and put him in a ditch? And he says, father, because I am older than he, and yet he is taller than I am. It's unfair. It's unjust. If I am older, I should be taller. So by putting him in the ditch, I simply straightened out the world. I simply brought things back to their equilibrium the way they should be. I ought to be taller, he ought to be shorter, I put him in a ditch. And his father told him, Zalmanaren, next time if you want to feel taller, stand up on a chair. Don't put your brother in a ditch. Next time you want to feel taller, elevate yourself. Don't denigrate somebody else. See you, God willing, next Monday night, 8.30 p.m. Good night.